Pam is someone who has also travelled uh, and done an awful lot of stuff around the globe. I'll let her introduce uh, herself to you. But I love Pam and uh, her husband Jason. They live here with their two kids and they're just uh, an incredible couple. A huge encouragement to me uh, just seeing the way that they love Jesus and the way that they step out in mission uh, wherever they go. Whether that's here in East London, uh, whether that's uh, out on the mission fields uh, of the globe. Uh, it really is exciting to be able to partner with them. And uh, Pam, why don't you come uh, and join us? Let's hear it for Pam. We love Pam. Uh, And I'm just going to pray for Pam as she comes and speaks. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Pam and her ministry. Lord, we thank you that you have anointed her as someone who can speak your good news. And Holy Spirit, we just invite you to move amongst us this morning. Jesus, as your word goes out to us today, may it not return empty. Would you mould us, would you shape us to be more like you? Amen. Well, thank you, Phil. Good morning, everyone. It's so nice to see the sun out, I have to say. Coming from Australia, that's been the hardest thing. Um, but what a glorious day. So is everyone excited over the next few weeks as we you know, talk about the SPS vision? Okay, so SPS's vision of making disciples, transforming communities, and planting churches. You know, that was actually one of the key things that drew us to this church over four years ago. And, you know, what a privilege it is for me to be able to talk about making disciples because it's something that's really dear on both Jason and my heart. It's something that, you know, we hope that we would live out more and more of as well. And it's just such a foundational piece, you know, of the SPS vision becoming a reality. Um, Because when we make disciples of Jesus, you know, we change people's lives for eternity. You know, we also equip them to make a difference in this world. And these are the people that will go on and ultimately transform a community. You know, and when the family of believers expands, that's when we need more and more churches. So firstly, let's look at what is a disciple? Well, it comes from the Greek word matates, which is a follower or a student. And I was looking at the Oxford Dictionary um, definition of this, you know, and, and the word follower means a person who supports and admires a particular person or a set of ideas, a person who takes an active interest in a particular activity, or someone who's tracking a particular person, group, or organization on Facebook. (laughs) I don't think Jesus had that in mind. But during Jesus' time, you know, a disciple was actually someone who had the desire to learn the teachings of another person. And they would actually imitate the practical details of their life. You know, it was a deliberate apprenticeship, you know, where they would become a living copy of their teacher or their master. So a disciple of Jesus is not just someone who loves Jesus and Christian values. It's more than someone who even goes to church and is actively involved in Christian events and programs. And, you know, it goes beyond studying the the word of God or even going to seminary school. A disciple of Jesus is someone who understands the teachings of Jesus, who's actively imitating his life with the intention of becoming like Jesus. You know, that's a pretty big goal. But to make disciples, you know, we first need to become a disciple of Jesus. And in 1 Corinthians 11.1, Paul says, imitate me as I go on and imitate Christ. 
So what is required to become a disciple of Jesus? You know, when we look at the Gospels, it talks, it starts by, you know, them responding to Jesus' call to follow him. In Matthew 4.18, Jesus says to Peter and Andrew, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Then he calls James and John, you know, and they immediately left their boat and their father and followed him. Then going on in Matthew 9, you know, he sees Matthew sitting at the tax booth and he says to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. So we look at this, you know, these people, they straight away responded to the call of Jesus. You know, they didn't wait. And Jesus wants his disciples, you know, to make following him their number one priority. In Luke 9:59, Jesus says to the man who wanted to bury his father, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. To the man who wanted to farewell his family, Jesus responded, no one who puts his hand to the plow or looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Even in Matthew 9, 16, you know, it wasn't enough for the rich young ruler to keep the commandments of the law. Jesus wanted him to sell everything, you know, before he could follow him. I mean, that is a big sacrifice that was required. And I think it's in Jesus' wisdom, he knows that there is a cost involved in following him and he wants us to make it a priority. I grew up in a Christian home, but 10 years ago, you know, I had a real revelation of who Jesus really was and I made a decision to follow him. God really convicted me at the time to end the long-term relationship that I was in and I knew that if I stayed there, it would hinder my spiritual growth. So I ended it, you know, which was painful, but also really freeing at the time. Then God challenged me to, you know, dedicate 20% of my working week to serve him. You know, I had a really great job as a strategy consultant. I just purchased my first house, you know, and to be honest, I was a little bit worried about the financial consequences and even the impact on my career. And I had absolutely no idea what I was going to do with that time, you know, or if my workplace would even reduce my hours. But God just wanted me to trust him in that process. And, you know, he had even better plans that I could ever dream or imagine. My manager approved a four-day week um, and even gave me a promotion, a pay rise a few months later. It also created opportunities for me to share my faith at work because people were wondering, you know, what did I do with this day off that I had? But it also opened the door to church ministry for me, which is how I met my husband, Jason. And Jesus was really clear about the cost of following him. In Matthew 8:20, Jesus says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus says, you know, in Luke 14:26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. You know, Jesus said that to his disciples very early on in their ministry. 
four years ago, you know, Jason and I moved to London, which was a really big step of faith for us. And we definitely counted the cost. We were living in Melbourne, which is, you know, one of the most livable cities in the world. I think it ranked, you know, best, most livable city for seven years running. Um, and we had really great jobs there, you know, a, a beautiful home and were leaders of a good church. Um, we were also really close to all our family who all live nearby. And, you know, that was a really big deal for me because um, the first time in 18 years that my parents and my brother and I had all lived in the same country. And unfortunately as well, just before we left, my dad was actually diagnosed with cancer. You know, so for me to leave, it was actually a, a difficult call. But God was really calling us to move to London to focus on his mission. And, you know, we'd gone long enough in our faith journey to know not to disobey that. So we quit our jobs, we sold everything, and, you know, we moved to the other side of the world with um, my three-month-year-old son, Micah. And, you know, we'd never actually really been to London before. <laughs> you think we would do like a scouting trip, you know, but we didn't do that. Um, and you know, didn't really know many people here. Um, so we had actually no idea where we were going to live or what we were going to do. But we felt God calling us to Tower Hamlets, you know, through actually a Google search. <laughs> um, and within our first month here, God miraculously provided a flat in Limehouse for us a job in Canary Wharf for me. Um, he connected us with lots of different people who are quite strategic in our lives now and also all the ministries that we're currently involved with. You know, and this is where we've lived, we've worked, you know, we've worshipped and done mission over the last four years. And I think both of us would agree that you know, we couldn't imagine living anywhere else now. So why do we need to make disciples? If you look at Jesus' strategy to transform the world, you know, it was really all about making disciples. That was his key focus over the three years of his ministry. He didn't plant any churches. He didn't write books. He didn't set any training programs up. He just invested his time and his energy into his disciples. You know, he spent time with them over a meal and, you know, while they were traveling together, he taught them how to live, you know, and what to do. He gave them opportunities to practice and to learn from their mistakes. And then he left, you know, to get on with the job. And as a mum, you know, I think I take kind of a similar approach of raising my kids. There's a lot of parents here. And, you know, I, I hope I've got 18 years, you know, to really teach them how to live. And I know that the time and energy that I invested them is going to make a difference. Well, at least I, I'm praying that it will. <laughs> but it's not just what I tell them, you know, but what they see me do that's really important. And it's also the opportunities that I give them to learn and develop, you know, themselves. And as a mum of two really strong-willed, independent children, you know, they really want to learn things for themselves. <laughs> And for me, parenting has actually probably been the most difficult thing I've ever had to do. It's a 24 by 7 job, you know, and I was never qualified for the job. I didn't do any training, you know, I didn't have much experience before. Um, but why do I do it? And I think ultimately it comes back down to this. It's because I love them. You know, I love my children. I see the potential in them. 
you know, and I want them to have a bright future. And I think that's the exact same reason, you know, why Jesus came into the world and died on the cross for each of us. It's because he loves us. You know, it's because he sees the potential that every single one of us has. You know, and he wants us to be in God's kingdom as his sons and daughters for eternity. And Jesus also knew there was a huge job to get done. You know, even he alone couldn't accomplish it during his time on earth. He needed workers. He needed people to come alongside him and actually help him to get the job done. You know, in Matthew 9.37, Jesus says, The harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest. Then he sends out the 12 disciples to the lost sheep of Israel, you know, and they go on to heal the sick and cast out demons and share the good news that the kingdom of God is near. And he says the same thing in Luke 10 too, you know, and then he sends out the 72 to every town and place where he's about to go. Even before Jesus leaves, you know, his final request to his disciples, you know, the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you to. He doesn't say stay and wait, but go and make. So that actually requires initiative, it requires action, it requires us doing something. And he doesn't just say, you know, just connect with the people that you get along with, you know, the people that you can connect with, the people who live nearby. But he actually says, go out to all the nations, to the ends of the earth. Fortunately in London, you know, a lot of the nations are here, so we don't have to go very far. But there was a time in my life when I was actually really just so busy with church that I'd forgotten what it meant to be the church. I was a committed Christian and church leader that had not responded you know, to the command to go and make disciples. I knew how to invite people to church. I knew how to even tell them that I was a Christian, but I couldn't share the gospel with someone or disciple them. You know, I really thought that I was loving and a kind person but I realized, you know, when I searched deep down that I didn't really have a heart for the lost. And that brought me into a season of absolute repentance, you know, where I cried my heart out and complete transformation. You know, my heart broke for those who were lost and didn't know Jesus. And, you know, I had this new passion for revival and a newfound confidence in Christ. You know, something really drastically shifted in my life. So Jason and I started to pray for people, you know, and, and share the word with our colleagues and our friends really intentionally. You know, we went out to the streets and the parks to pray for people and share the gospel. And part of that process was almost God, you know, getting rid of our own fears as well. And, you know, I was so surprised how open people are. You know, and we would see people get healed and come to faith. Um, and I just encourage you, like, the best way to actually practice is to share your faith, you know, with strangers. Because you never see them again, you know. You, there's, there's nothing wrong that you can say. You know, don't wait for the family member or that work 
colleague that you've, you know, invested 20 years into, you know, thinking, oh, if I just say the right thing, you know, they'll come to Jesus. You know, usually, sometimes God actually uses our inadequacies, you know, when we say the wrong thing. That's how he uses us. So I started to look for opportunities as well to do missions in my workplace. You know, I'd go out at lunchtime in Canary Wharf and there was a group of us and we'd start praying for people and talking to them about Jesus. You know, and even when I'm with my kids as well, which is sometimes not the easiest thing. Um, but, you know, God enables you to have those spiritual conversations and to really get into people's lives, you know, when your, your kids are connecting with their kids. And last year, I quit my job um, in Canary Wharf to work for a missions organisation that is transforming communities in South Asia. So I'm now part of a movement that is making disciples and planning churches amongst the largest population of unreached people groups in the world. You know, people who have never heard the name of Jesus before, people who don't have access to a line of scripture, let alone a church, you know. In some of the places where we work, there are over in a half a billion people who have never heard the name of Jesus before. Um, and that's the world that we still live in. You know, even though we've got access to technology, there's so many people out there who don't have the opportunities that we do. And it's through their stories that I'm continually inspired and encouraged, you know, to go and make disciples. People using local men and women to restore lives and to bring hope through the love of Jesus and the power of the gospel. You know, people like Raj, you know, who was illiterate and he was desperate to study in one of our transformation centers, um, which is a one-year program where they are in community and, and learn, you know, um, the Bible and are equipped to plan a church. But due to his persistence, they finally agreed to let him attend the classes, even though he couldn't enroll as a student. You know, and he struggled through and finally completed the year's training. You know, and when we've connected with him six years later, um, he's now raised up 24 leaders who have gone on to plant 42 churches. You know, if God can use an illiterate man like Raj, he can use every single one of you. He can use me and you. But following Jesus will require to sacrifice your own desires and comforts. You know, Matthew 16, 24 says, if anyone would come to me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You know, we will need to put our confidence in Jesus, you know, to be able to overcome our fears. But the good news is that there is victory and that is, you know, possible through Jesus Christ. And I just believe that anything worthwhile, you know, comes at a price. I used to pray to God, you know, would you use me to do something great? And, you know, I think what greater cause is there than to go and make disciples, you know, of all nations um, and to establish his kingdom here on earth. And that's the opportunity that all of us have. It's not for the select few, it's for everyone. And that's also the one thing that we can't do when we're in heaven. You know, there'll be time to, to worship and to pray. We'll get to unpack the scriptures, you know. We'll get to hear directly from Paul and from Peter and they can explain to us, you know, what they meant by those phrases. You know, we'll be able to talk to Jesus directly, you know, but we won't be able to share the good news. You know, that's the one thing we can't do when we leave here. 
But Jesus also leaves us with a promise in John 14, 12. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me for anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commands. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever. The mark of a disciple is not based on ability, it's not based on experience, you know, or knowledge. It really is all about obedience. So are you committed to, you know, become a disciple of Jesus? Are you willing to accept the call to sacrifice the things of this world and follow Jesus, you know, wherever he leads? You know, do you want the Great Commission to be something that, you know, you aspire to or something that you actually live out? I believe that Jesus makes following him accessible to everyone. You know, that's the beauty of the whole Christian message. You know, and that's the beauty of Jesus Christ himself. And he wants every one of you to make disciples in this community and beyond. Do you know that there's over 2.2 billion Christians in the world? You know, that's 31% of the world's population. If every Christian raised up three or four disciples, you know, the job would be done. And as I was preparing for this sermon, you know, I felt totally convicted myself, um, you know, about the importance of making disciples. And I don't know, no matter how long you've been a Christian, I think this is just such an important topic and something that we can all really develop in. And, you know, the first thing that I did actually was um, I called a, a friend who's also a local church leader and I said, I need to catch up with you once a month so that we can pray together, so that we can keep each other accountable, you know, and, you know, so that's what we're going to do. Starting from March, I'm going to do that Um, because I believe that it's all good to say that this is really important. It's all good to say, look, I want to do this, you know, but it's not until you make a commitment that it actually happens. And the other thing as well is, you know, I've set a personal goal to um, identify three people that I want to be intentionally discipling this year. So what are the things that you want to develop, you know, on your own personal discipleship journey? You know, who are you discipling? And, you know, who's actually supporting you in this? Who's helping you? Who's encouraging you? Who's keeping you accountable? Because I don't think we were meant to do this discipleship journey alone. We're meant to do it in community. That's why we have the church. I think you can't share a message like that and not have a response. Um, So, you know, just as we reflect on some of the things that I've shared, you know, I really want to have a time of, like, ministry um, where people have the opportunity to respond, where you have the time to just, you know, look to God and to say, look, how can I follow you? What are the things that you want me to do in my life, you know? so that this can become a reality. So, you know, I just want to invite all of, you know, all of you to, yeah, to come forward if you feel um, convicted. Um, I'd love to pray for you. Um, If you're a leader here at SBS, you know, if you lead a group, 
um, please come forward and pray for, for those as well. Um, and, you know, together, let's not make this something that we just talk about. Let's just not make this, you know, something that we say, look, this is one of our visions. Let's make it a reality. Let's make it something that we're doing day in, day out. Let's make it something that we celebrate and we share testimony about, you know. Um, and that's ultimately what's going to make a difference in this community. So I'm just going to pray and, um, yeah, just take your time. But I just invite you to come forward. And, you know, it's not what I say in this service, but actually what we each of us does, you know, out of here that's important. Um, but I believe there's something powerful, you know, when you lay hands on someone, when you pray together. Um, and you might even want to grab the person next to you and say, look, can we pray together? You know, can you keep me accountable? Heavenly Father, God, we thank you, Lord, that you loved us so much that you sent your son Jesus to come to this world, you know, and die for our sins, Lord, so that we could, you know, have a relationship with you, God. And Lord, you know, as your disciples, Lord, Help us, God, you know, to follow you with all our heart, Lord. Help us, God, to be willing to make the sacrifices that are required, you know, to see true transformation in this earth, Lord God. Lord, we thank you for the privilege, God, of being your hands and feet. Lord, we pray, God, that you would come, Holy Spirit, and, you know, just help us overcome any fears and anxieties, any complacency or distraction in our lives, God, that prevents us from following you. And Lord, I pray that, you know, making disciples, God, would be, you know, such a core part of SBS. God, I pray, Lord Jesus, that this would be something that is the heartbeat of the church, Lord. I pray, God, that it wouldn't be just one or two, God, who are going out there and sharing the good news, Lord God, but it would be all of us. It would be all of us, God. You know, because there are places in our work, there are work places, you know, that we're in, in, in our workplace, in our community, amongst the people that we know, Lord who are lost and desperately need a saviour. God, and you've placed us there for a reason. So Holy Spirit, would you come right now and empower us, Lord, for the Great Commission.